open your Bible to Exodus 20, if you will. We are going to bounce around a little bit, but with this single verse, it's a fairly simple message. Have you ever thought it would be easy to tell the truth here? But it's just easier not to. It'd be easy to tell the truth here. It's just easier not to. And ever since the fall, we have this tendency to look out for ourselves first. As someone said, our world is me, myself, and I. And not loving our neighbor as we should by lying, by deceiving, and not speaking truthfully to him or her. And often we find ourselves even on the horns of a moral dilemma of how much do we say. In fact, Jesus at one point said to his disciples, I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. By way of confession, I'd like to illustrate this very briefly. I was leaving someone's home on Friday. I glanced down at my phone and ran off the road just enough so that my right rear view mirror, my side mirror, tagged a mailbox and basically destroyed my side mirror. I went about 50 feet. I heard it. I looked up. And I backed my car up, got out, mourned the death of my side view mirror, mourned the slight scrape on the right side of my otherwise perfectly fine white car. And then I thought, the mailbox looks perfectly fine. It's okay. And I thought I could go in and do this. I thought about it. I said, no, I'm just going to go. I'll text the folks I just left, I said, I know the address. Would you go by, double check it for me, give them my name and number, and I'm very happy to take care of it. But there wasn't, for a moment, that temptation to say, no harm, no foul, all is good. Do I really need to say anything? I mean, I clearly hit it. If you look at my car, you'll know that the mailbox won and my car lost. Okay. But we face these moments where truth is in front of us and we're tempted to not love our neighbor as we ought to by lying, by deceiving, or speaking truthfully to him or her. And it brings us to our big idea this morning, and that's this. Here it is. Because God is true, the gospel calls us to more than not only lying and deceit, but to a holy, edifying speaking of the truth to one another. It's not enough to be silent. It's not enough to not be guilty of lying. It's not enough to not be a deceiver because the gospel calls us to far more. And it brings us to our outline here, and I'll give it to you. Number one this morning, the one true God we'll see is the starting point of the ninth commandment. 
And I mentioned even as I prayer, you know from, Jesus, from John 4, Jesus speaking to the woman at the well says that the Father is seeking worshipers who will worship him in spirit and in truth. In fact, in another place in Psalm 18, David has memorialized in this royal psalm of thanksgiving in verse 30, which you'll also find in 2 Samuel in his song of deliverance when God saves him from the hand of Saul. He says, this God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He's a shield for all those who take refuge in him. The one true God is the starting point of the ninth commandment. Secondly, we're going to look at what the ninth commandment forbids. In fact, you could take Ephesians 4.25 very simply and say, this is what the ninth commandment forbids. This is what the ninth commandment requires. And this is the motivation for those. Lay aside falsehood, speak truth to one another for... We are members of one another. But what does the ninth commandment forbid? That'll be our second point. Lying, deceit, bearing false witness against our neighbor. And unlike the previous two commandments, the seventh and eighth, or even the sixth, you shall not murder, You shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal. Where there were just two simple words in the Hebrew, this is a little bit more to it. And you'll see the word neighbor introduced. It's a reminder of the second table of the law. Our concern on this level is one another. I almost wish we had turned all the chairs in the auditorium for the sermon so that we just looked at each other and understood that this is our purview here. Out of love for God, we must love one another. So first point, the one true God is the starting point of the ninth commandment. Secondly, we'll look at what the ninth commandment forbids. Third, we'll look at what the ninth commandment requires. And that is speaking the truth to our neighbor. And then finally, we'll look at the heart of the ninth commandment. And that is our motivation. We are members of one another. And so this morning we come to this ninth command. I'd like you to open, as you, if you're there in Exodus 20, just take a look at that commandment. Verse 16, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. It's the ninth of what we call the Ten Commandments or the Ten Words. And if you've engaged in this series, you know that we are in the second table or tablet of the law. And that God, in fact, with his finger, engraved on these two stone tablets these ten words that are summarized in the two great commandments. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And the second from Leviticus 19, as Jesus tells the lawyer in Matthew 22, is to love your neighbor as yourself. And if you know this from Leviticus 19, 18, it said, 
it's, it ends with this refrain. You might just turn, if you've never seen it, turn to Leviticus 19.18 for one moment. Very helpful. He says, I am the Lord. Verse 18 of Leviticus 19. Don't take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And he says, I am the Lord. So even this love of the second tablet of the law for our neighbor is given this exclamation point that all our love rendered, given to one another, is in this realm, is in this cup, is under this umbrella of living quorum Deo, before the presence of God. So the second tablet of the law tells us what our duty is on this level the horizontal level. It's all about love, the royal law. James 2, verse 8, the apostle writes this, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And in Romans 13, 10, Paul says, love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Love is the fulfilling of the law. Of the law. And so the fifth commandment, honor your father and your mother, is a hinge between the first four commandments, the loving obedience that God calls us to in our relationship with Him. No other gods, no idols, no graven images, revering His name, honoring His day. And then the fifth, Honor your father and your mother as a hinge between the final five that give shape to how we're to love our neighbor. And so the sixth commandment, God is the author and giver of life and its sacred character. You shall not murder. Secondly, the seventh commandment, God is in covenant loyalty with his people and so he is infused and regulates marriage with the same covenant loyalty. You shall not commit adultery. And then the eighth commandment, God owns all things. We saw that in Psalm 24 in our call to worship. All things are to be richly owned, enjoyed, and stewarded for his glory. Please come to the fellowship meal, and as we say, eat like you mean it. Eat like you mean it. Eat like you're enjoying God. Eat like you're enjoying one another. That's why you read those words, you shall not steal. And I want us to see the pattern where we're forbidden to wrongfully deny a person their life, murder, to wrongfully deny a person their mate or their wife, adultery, to wrongfully deny a person their property, theft or stealing, the eighth commandment. And then now today in the ninth, to wrongfully deny a person the right to the truth, a right to the truth. You shall not lie. So number one, the one true God we see this morning is the starting point of the ninth commandment. Have you ever thought about this? When God speaks you know, there used to be a commercial, when so-and-so speaks, people listen. E.F. Hutton, something like that. When God speaks, things happen. 
When you open the Bible, God is introduced right there in Genesis 1. If you look at this, he's introduced as the first person, the first being, and he's creating. And how is he doing that in verse 3? He's doing that by speaking. And when God speaks, good things happen, powerful things happen, moving things happen. So the Bible opens up with God speaking, creating, making a world beautiful with good, and that's beautiful and good and enjoyable. Proverbs says that life and death lie in the very power of the tongue. Do you realize, James says, that's what's, there's a degree of mystery about with our same tongue, we're able to bring blessing and cursing. With one word, you can swell a person's spirit up legitimately and boost them. Their day goes from like a one to an eight with one compliment, one encouragement, and you can crush a person with a soul. But God, he speaks And he speaks as the one true God. And he's not simply true when you think of the adjective as opposite false or truth as God is truth, opposite falsehood, but he's true in the sense of being the genuine article, what's real. When we speak of the one true God, Yes, true, more than simply not false, but the real article, the one true God. And so there's David in Psalm 1830. This God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. And David's song of deliverance right there in 2 Samuel twenty two thirty one. It's those words in 2 Samuel 22 that, that provide the content for David's royal psalm of thanksgiving in Psalm 18. His way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. It is God the embodiment of truth, the one for whom we were thinking about in Sunday school this morning in 3 John 4, the apostle says, I have no greater joy than this, than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Also turn to John 1 just for a moment. I want you to see this. John 1, John's gospel, true and truth are themes with the Apostle John. When he says of John that he was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light, he's speaking about what is true. Look there in verse nine. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Then look at this in verse 14. John says 
and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. And then he goes on to add in verse 16, for from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. He is the only son from the Father full of grace and truth. Grace and truth have come from him. He is the one true God, and that is the starting point of the ninth commandment. There is in God no shadow of turning. He is the one who does not change. He is the one whose ways are inscrutable. Look, if you will, even if you'll turn with me to Second Timothy chapter 2, you'll notice Paul says, he says it's a saying, this saying is trustworthy in chapter 2 of Second Timothy verse 11. If we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny, he will also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Brothers and sisters, this is the language of a God who is true, and that's the starting point of the ninth commandment. The starting point of this commandment is not simply not lying. It's an apprehension of God as the one true God worthy of our love and praise. Well, what secondly does the ninth commandment forbid? He forbids, and it forbids lying, deceit, bearing false witness against our neighbor. That's very critical, all right? It's no less than not lying, but it's a lot more. So kids, I want to ask you a question if you were listening as John, Mr. Feisty read these passages. Does God hate anything? Does God hate anything? He does. What are some of those things that God hates? Well, we find them there in Proverbs 6, verses 16 through 19. And in fact, he says there are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. And actually, two deal with this commandment. A lying tongue, which is second. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue. tongue, Hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans. And feet that run hastily to evil. Eyes, tongue. Hands. Heart, feet, and then a false witness who breathes out lies. Well, where does this spirit of deceit come from? Where does it come from? Have you ever thought about that from the heart? In Mark 7, verse 21, and we've been thinking about this as we've looked at Matthew, 20, Matthew 15. We've been reading this. You cannot eat enough certifiably organic food to get your heart right. And I love to eat healthy, but for most of us, our problem is not our diet. Our problem is our heart. And kids, I want to give you something to give mom and dad a way to think about it, okay? 
Here's a way for you to think about this going forward. First the root, then the fruit. First the root, then the fruit. It starts with the what? It all starts with the heart. First the root, then the fruit. It all starts with the heart. Jesus says, for from within, Mark 7, 21, out of the heart of man come deceit. And it's very interesting because you may think, when you think of lying lips or you think of thieving hands, it's easy to think of those rather than beginning with the heart. But that's where the spirit of deceit comes from, from the heart. So what does it mean to lie? What does it mean to bear false witness? To lie is to tell what is not true. To lie is to speak what is false, to say what is false is true, or to say that which is true, it's false. Both are lying. And it's also lying, it's deception, To not say anything when you're compelled to say something and you're you're obligated to. So I want to be very careful here. You'll understand that deceit is actually woven into the way we live in a large number of ways. If if we're playing cards, I'm not going to show you my hands. And when you see even in sports, you don't know what pitch is coming, all right? And sometimes... Sometimes a catcher will hold his mitt here and move his mitt, making the batter think the pitch is coming here, and then move his mitt. Sometimes uh, in war, deception is normal. We don't say what's going on. Some of you, sometimes we conceal things. There'll be Christmas gifts that will be wrapped, and you'll have no idea. You're concealing the truth of things, sometimes you're actually actively deceiving. And so you might ask, what does it mean to keep this commandment, you shall not bear false witness? And I want to correct a misconception as we think of what the ninth commandment forbids. This does not mean that you are obligated to answer every person's question as though anyone can tap you and put you under oath at any moment of time. Does that make sense? That is not what we're talking about with this commandment. In fact, in a very real sense, we earn the right with one another in relationship to speak the truth and, in fact, to ask the truth. To ask the truth. Parents, there are things that your children might want to know about you and your spouse that you are not, and questions that they want to ask, but it is not helpful or edifying or wise for you to reveal to them. In fact, it's more helpful for them to not know certain things at times. So in an age where we prize transparency and authenticity, we need, to under, we need to be biblically wise with that. So the idea here is that we must tell the truth when truth must reasonably be given. I want to give an example of this to, say, with parents 
and your children with it when it comes to schoolwork. So let's say you're 14 and you, you have a paper due and it's due tomorrow on Monday morning in your class at 9 o'clock. It's due and you haven't started it yet. Now, and, and dad or mom says, uh, have you finished your paper, right? Have you finished your paper? And you look and you smile, not yet. When the truth is you haven't begun, okay? And so to represent the whole truth would have to, that is, that is true that you haven't finished your paper. But it is in fact more true, <laughs> maybe even more relevant, that though that paper is due in like 11 hours, you haven't even begun, okay? And so the question is, what are we to give? What does it mean to not lie, to not deceive, to not bear false witness? And that is that when we speak, where truth is reasonably to be expected, we are to say what's true. And that doesn't mean we don't use discretion, right? If you ask me, if you ask me about uh, the basset hound I own, that doesn't mean I need to give you a history of that breed, the basset hound, and to give you the medical history of my 14-year-old basset hound, Max, all right? It doesn't mean everything, but it means that what we say when we speak needs to be true. It's to tell what is not true. That's a lie. And it's to speak what is false, to rep to misrepresent something, to say that something is A when it's B, or to say that it's white when it's black, or to say that it's black when it's white. We don't say that two plus two equals nine, and we wouldn't say that to a little six-year-old who's learning to add and confuse them. Two plus two is patently four. So the question is then, what does it mean to deceive? To deceive is to make someone believe something that is not true. And so moms and dads, and even brothers and sisters, let's be careful with sarcasm. Let's be careful in the body with sarcasm, with one another. Understand that that can create confusion when you look entirely sincere and say something to someone and they don't have the context to know that you are teasing and being sarcastic. That's not helpful. Like sarcasm is not a spiritual gift in 1 Corinthians 12 or you know, 1 Peter 4. It really isn't. It has very limited returns. And I would, I would caution you, I would caution as an application of this commandment where in effect when we're using sarcasm, we're saying one thing and we're actually trying to be funny, meaning the other, that that's, can be dangerous and create uh, real discomfort for one another. Let's be thoughtful with that. I want you to think, turn, turn to Ephesians 4, if you will. And like some of these other, so, so that you'll know, we'll take... We'll have a second part to this message next Sunday night. So just so you'll be prepared for that. Paul then, and this is the paired passage, 
having put away falsehood, he says, all right? Therefore, having put away falsehood, which pairs with Exodus 20:16, do not bear false witness. The context here is that the Christian life as new creatures in Christ with all these word pictures of walking, walking in a manner worthy of the gospel, Ephesians 4.1, walking, Ephesians 4.17, not as the Gentiles do in futility, but actually in this newness, a new life in Christ, verse 20, the way we learned in Christ, is this continual taking off and putting on. It's a taking off and putting on. Some of you like to laugh about your little children. Sometimes three, four, five-year-olds will wear as many as three, four, five different outfits in one day. Has anyone had that experience? They rotate through them, right? But did you know that's actually a picture of what our life is to be like, this putting off of things that go with the old man and putting on the things that go with our newness in Christ so Paul says, shed it. Shed it. Think about your neighbor. Think about the starting point of the ninth commandment. Leave this aside. That's your old, that's your former manner of life. That's your old self. It's corrupt through deceitful desires. Notice that in Ephesians 4 verse 22. Even as he's about to apply this, he says, put off your old self. And then he actually appeals to an element of the ninth commandment. Your old self is corrupt. Your former manner of life is corrupt through deceitful desires. And he says, and be renewed. And to be renewed. In the spirit of your minds. And put on the new self. Created after the likeness of God. In true righteousness and holiness. And then the very first area. That he applies this. Is in this area of truth. As part of going on with Jesus. We put this off and we put this on and this very first thing is that we put away falsehood. And that's again, not simply silence and not lying. It's going to be being truth tellers, okay? And he says, speak truth to your neighbor. And there's no doubt he's appealing to Zechariah 8 verse 16. You might turn there just for a moment. Turn the next to last book in the Old Testament right before Malachi Chapter 8, verse 16, these are the things that you shall do. And right before this, God is saying, this is the good I'm going to do for you. Now, this is the good you do for your neighbor. Speak the truth to one another. Render in your gates judgments that are true and make for peace. Do not devise evil in your hearts against one another. In love, no false oath. For all these things I hate, declares the Lord, not surprising, after reading Proverbs 
in chapter 6. But in Ephesians 4 then, what we're forbidden from doing is our lives characterized by falsehood. Lay it. Put it away. It's like the garbage. It's like that diaper that needs to get out of the house and into the dumpster. Do you know what I'm talking about? Put it away. Put distance between you and it. In fact, did you remember what was, did you see the language of distance in Proverbs 30? Let me read this to you again. Two things I ask of you, deny them not to, deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Remove from me falsehood and lying. And then he connects that to give me neither poverty nor riches, so that at the end, verse 9, that I not by my life profane the name of my God. Beware of the temptation to deceit. Why are we tempted to deceive? Do we want to look better? What's at the root of that? Is that we want to look better in the eyes of others? That's why I mentioned the car thing. I wanted you to, to look at stupidity and what that looked like. Because frankly, in that moment, I'm thinking, what do I need to tell this neighbor? What do I owe? What's Christianly? What does it look like to love my neighbor? Or am I just so embarrassed? And I had to come. It was the timing of that experience of with about, you know, with preparing to preach on the ninth commandment. I mean, God's timing is always great, isn't it? It's always good. Yeah. The temptation to lie, rooted in pride, rooted in wanting to look better. It's like we, we're like we're our, our own PR agency, our own public relations agency. We're wanting to cover up. We're wanting to avoid responsibility. Kill the sin. Be honest. Be honest with yourself about your dishonesty. So what does it require? Paul says, he says, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. Look at how this is suggestive in language. And this is just, this type of language here that grammatically, when Paul says let each of you, or it's like in Hebrews 10, let us, let us, let us. It's a little bit indirect. It's not so direct. But he says, there's something you owe to your neighbor more than simply not lying it's to speak the truth to him or her. Now, I want you to take, as you look, as we wrap up here, I want you to see the motive. So we've seen that the starting point of the ninth commandment is that one true God, that we serve one true God. 
who is true indeed. Secondly, we've seen what the ninth commandment forbids. It's lying, deceit. It's bearing false witness against our neighbor. We've looked at what this commandment requires. And I want to spend, before we get to the fourth point, which deals with the motive for we are members of one another. I want us to think about this for a moment. We understand that words are powerful, that death and life lie in the power of the tongue. But as we speak to one another, this verse does not give us a license to treat each other as golf balls that we tee off, that we tee up and tee off on one another. We're not projects. We're not, we're not brothers and sisters in Christ to whom we come and simply, we, we, like, we need to fix you. You're broken and I need to fix you. You're wrong and I need to make you right. We're to speak the truth in love. And just a few verses later, in Ephesians 4.29, with which I know many of you are familiar, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear I need you to speak to me and I need a venue and moments to speak to you My holiness depends on that. Your holiness depends on that. We need one another. The whole point of this is that right before verse 25 is that we are putting on the new self, verse 24 in Ephesians 4, that Paul says is created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And then he uses this little word in the Greek, that says, that's translated therefore, or in consequence, set aside falsehood and implicitly put on these new habits of speaking to one another in love and grace-filled truth that builds each other up in the faith that helps us on the road to holiness in our pilgrimage to what John Bunyan would have called in Pilgrim's Progress, the celestial city. Part of us going arm in arm is us speaking not past each other, not speaking against each other, but speaking to another, one another wisely, lovingly, listening well, grieving with one another, not always sounding the same note. Like it's great that you're so excited and you want to say that if you were any better, you couldn't stand yourself. But honestly, not everyone's had a week just like that. Okay? We all haven't had weeks just like that. Sometimes it's okay to sit with someone And the only thing you need to talk to them about is the pain they've felt or the joy they've celebrated. It brings us to the final point. 
At the heart of this commandment is our motive. What's forbidden is falsehood. What's required is speaking truth to one another. At the heart of this, even as we saw neighbor for the first time in the ten words in the ninth commandment, and then here, in Ephesians 4.25, there's both a reference to Exodus 20.16 and Zechariah 8.16 and doing good to one another, and it's this. Remembers. It's completely unthinkable that we would lie to one another, that we would attack one another, that we would denigrate one another with our words, that we would do anything but build up one another because remembers. I'm a member with John, and John's a member with Andrea, and Andrea's a member with Cheryl. And look how it works together. I want you to think about this. You are at your home, okay? You're at your home. And you, um, you taste your coffee, all right? You taste your coffee. And you think your, your taste buds are telling your mind that your coffee needs not sugar, but salt, okay, and lots of it. And then there, you had the sugar bowl right here, and then you say, well, that's weird, but your taste buds tell your mind, and now your, your mind is telling your hand, and you go over here with all your, your salt and baking powder and baking soda. And somehow what's happened is that the very thing that's designed to accurately assess what's needed taste-wise, more spice, less sugar, more salt, has misfired. And it's telling your brain, which is telling your hand, and then all of a sudden you're thinking, I think I, that cup of coffee needs two tablespoons of like uh, sea salt. And then, and then you, you stir it, and you wonder, why is that so salty? And you've realized that you've had this misfire, you've had this miscommunication that the members that were supposed to be cooperating together and giving all the right signals have given the wrong signals. Your taste bud, which should be telling you that it's perfectly fine, is saying this coffee is in dire need of salt. And then your mind is receiving that signal to your hand. It's unthinkable. God intends in the body that we understand that we're vitally connected to one another. And the great good that we can do for each other, as God has done good for us, is that we can speak the truth to our neighbor. And it's not a license for unbridled directness or bluntness. It's not. We're to speak the truth in love. Even the Son of God, John says in John 1, came with grace and truth. I want to close with this. I want you to think about the Son. He, 
He is the true light. He is the true light as we close. He is the one who's characterized as faithful and true. In John 17, as he's praying, he prays in John 17, 17 for his disciples. He says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. There is no truth. There is no truth telling. There will only be deceit. There will only be falsehood. There will only be this ongoing, nagging, crippling temptation to cover up, to appear to look good, to appear to be better than you actually are, apart from the one who is faithful and true. If you find yourself this morning and you realize, I'm tempted to lie all the time. I'm tempted to cover up. I'm tempted to minimize and exaggerate. I'm tempted to misrepresent things. I want to make myself look good and others not. There's a Savior for you. There's a Savior for for liars. And he says, come to me. Come to me. I'm a certified Jedi heart surgeon. I'm amazing. And I will take your heart that feels so tempted to lie and misrepresent the truth and use falsehood and even truth against others and I'll change you and I'll change you from the inside out. I will do for you what you cannot do for yourself. I'll take out your hard heart and I'll give you a new heart, a living heart, a heart that accords, that is in line with me the God who is truth, who loves truth, who is true in all his ways. So every sermon has to end with an invitation to come. Come to him. Come to the Lord Jesus. Who takes liars and cheats. Who takes the Nicodemuses. He takes the Zacchaeuses. The Zacchaeuses who realize they need to make everything right by fourfold. And he says, I'll give you a new heart. And kids, let me say this. You're not excluded. You don't have to be old to become a Christian. You don't have to be old to say, God, I am struggling so bad. I want to lie. I don't want to tell mom and dad the truth. And you can't fool them anyways. He says, come. And go to mom and dad and tell them that. Tell them, mom, dad, I'm really struggling. I want to say this when I know I should say this. 
There are things I'm not telling you that I need to. And moms and dads, the application there is give your children the space to be honest with you and don't freak out. Receive them, help them, shepherd them, bring the word to them. He promises to be with us. He is faithful.